For those of you who are joining us for the first time, or the first time in a while, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke 16, we've come to verse 18. Verse 18 talks about divorce, and it says, Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And so that's the verse that we're on, and next week, Lord willing, we'll get to it. But we've been taking a little bit of a detour as we've contemplated, okay, what, what is marriage? What are the biblical foundational truths about marriage? And last week, we began looking at deviations from God's design for marriage and sexuality. We began talking about immorality here in Romans chapter 1. We began talking about the relationship between idolatry and immorality, and we'll review some of those things this morning, and, and we're going to look more carefully at the last half of this, these verses, Romans 1, 16 through 32. But uh, we're going to read the, the entire portion here again this morning. And so in honor of God, as we read his word, would you please stand with me? <clears throat> Beginning in verse 16, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their errors. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You may be seated. May our hearts be encouraged and challenged, convicted by God's word this morning. And let's pray once again that God would would give us grace. And Father, we do ask for your grace as we tackle a very difficult topic. We pray that you'd give us grace 
to have hearts of humility, and to have hearts of, of joy as we contemplate your call in our lives. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. My original thinking had been that we would cover the verses we're covering this morning last week. And so the issue of, of homosexuality that, that makes up quite a large portion of the verses this morning we're looking at, my, my hope had been that that would be just kind of a, a sub-point last week, and we wouldn't spend that much time uh, discussing it. However, that's, that's, not obviously, that's obviously not what happened. Last week we talked a lot about immorality, but didn't get into the specific issue of, of homosexuality, and so we're going to be dealing with that in more detail this morning. Uh, let me just be honest with you, though. Uh, I, I'm a little bit reluctant. I've been a little bit reluctant to talk extensively about this issue, and, and I think for, for several reasons. Some good, maybe some not good. Maybe some are, are wrong on, on my heart attitude. It's hard for me to discern exactly where the line is there. One reason I, I've been a little bit reluctant is just because uh, it's a subject that I'm, I'm weary of. And I don't know if you feel this way in our culture too, but, but I look out and it seems like everywhere I turn, be it the secular world or the Christian world, this is the issue that's being talked about. In the secular world, homosexuality is not just something that's being discussed as something we should tolerate, but it seems like everywhere that I turn in media or in conversations, it's a lifestyle that's being celebrated and encouraged and, 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 and exalted. And so I, I get a little, frankly, I just get a little weary of, of, of hearing about it. And even in Christian circles, it seems like this is an issue that everywhere I turn, it, it's, it's what a Christian teachers or pastors or, or blogs are, are talking about. It's a, it's a huge topic of conversation. I think a lot of people have dealt with it well, and I'm kind of ready to move on to some other things, right? I'm kind of ready for this part of our culture to, to pass away, but that's not reality, of course. I'm also anxious for the, the church. I don't want the church to be just known as those, those people that oppose homosexuality. I'd like us to be known for the gospel, and as people understand the gospel and the power of the gospel, of course it has implications in all areas of life, but, but that's one reason I've been a little bit reluctant, I, I think. I've also been reluctant because I, I don't enjoy arguing. I, I don't enjoy picking a fight, and sometimes whenever we're talking about this issue, it, it, it seems like I, I know that there are going to be arguments that, that come from this, and, and I just, you know, call it cowardice, call it just being a nice guy, uh, call it laziness. I, I just don't enjoy arguing. I also don't enjoy causing people pain. And I know that there are some people here this morning who have struggled or maybe are struggling with, with homosexual desires. Or maybe some of you have said, you know what, I, I'm, I've decided to commit to a lifestyle of homosexuality. And, and so as I and maybe you're, maybe you're not here this morning, maybe it's someone that's listening to this later on a CD or on, the, on our internet or a radio broadcast. And so I know that as I say some things this morning, uh, there are going to be some people who are, are pained by what I say. There are people that have gone, most people I know who are homosexual, in fact, have, have been through very difficult times in their lives, very, very painful, painful times in their lives, and I don't think those things are unrelated. And so the idea that, that I'm going to say some things that, that hurt people, frankly, that, that's not really exciting for me. I think only a, a really twisted person gets excited about saying things that they know are going to be painful for people. 
fact, in preparation for this message, I sent out some emails to some people that I, I know that are uh, very pro-homosexual, either homosexual themselves or very pro-homosexual agenda things. And, and I just asked them, I said, you know, uh, you know that you and I disagree on this issue. Uh, I hope you know that I care about you. Um, I'd like to know uh, a couple things. First of all, what are some things that I might say or that others might say that distort what you actually believe? I said, I, my, my desire isn't to create this caricature of what you believe or what you want to uh, live the way you want to live your life, and, and so please help me understand rightly what you believe, what you think, and, and, and also if you had the opportunity to, to talk to evangelical Christians, what are some things that you would say? And, and only one person replied uh, directly. I got some indirect replies that were kind of sad, but uh, one person said, you know, I, I would just encourage you to encourage people in your church to, to love people who are homosexual, who are living a homosexual lifestyle, and to, to develop friendships with them, and, and to, to really love them as people, to which I say, amen, right? Another reason that I, I'm reluctant, perhaps, to talk about this is I, I don't enjoy making people angry. I don't enjoy making people angry, and I know that no matter how I, I word some things this morning, because of what I believe about what Scripture teaches regarding the homosexual lifestyle, I, I know that some people are going to be angered by what I say. There's a young man that was a part of our youth group at uh, Bethany Baptist Church several years ago, and uh, he has committed himself to this lifestyle, and I read his blog occasionally. Uh, he's a very intelligent young man, even though I believe he's committed to a lifestyle that isn't going to bring him joy. And this is what, he wrote a blog entry one time that I, I found very interesting. He was talking about bigotry and intolerance. And so he says, the person who's rightly labeled a, a bigot is one who ascribes to an idea and will vehemently defend said idea, even when logic, science, and reason contradict him. How does this play into the debate over gay marriage? Well, most bigots, those who are against marriage equality, take a fundamental, traditional, and divinely inspired view of human sexuality. They're not open to new ideas about any of these issues since, quote-unquote, God has spoken. They do not objectively look at the evidence on human sexuality but instead have an intolerance for modern scientific findings. To them, anything that goes against their divine dogma is a threat that must not only be evaluated, but also attacked. We then, he says, on the side of marriage equality, can rightfully label those who are against us as bigots. Yet, when we call them this, we are labeled intolerant. This is correct. I say to them, yes, we are intolerant of your view, because in a pluralistic society, those who are against reason, logic, and science and instead evoke an unproven divine text for their bigotry, should not be allowed to shape the debate. He goes on uh, and talks about fundamentalists and, and uh, kind of his views on, on that. Well, uh, those words sadden me, right? And I, I don't enjoy saying things that I know that, that someone who I, I care about very deeply is, is going to be offended by. That, that doesn't excite me. However, right? There's a however. <laughs> I can't shrink from what God's Word says, can I? Nor, if I truly love people, can I fail to warn them about the danger of a lifestyle that goes against what God's Word says. And every person in here is going to have to make a commitment. Uh, every person in here, whether you're struggling with homosexual urges, 
whether you have friends or family members who have committed themselves to this lifestyle, whether you're a young person who has friends that are engaged in this type of lifestyle or wondering about their sexuality and and what it all means and, and all those types of things, every person in here is going to have to do something with what God's Word says about how one is to live. Remember, Luke 16 18 is talking about marriage. And uh, right before Luke 16 and 18, Luke 16 18, we talked about how the, the, Jesus is challenging the Pharisees and, and the scribes about their understanding of God's word and whether or not God's word is going to be authoritative for their lives. And now he's going to come to the issue of marriage and say, okay, this is what God's word says about marriage. And each person has to say, yes, I'm going to agree with God's understanding of marriage or I'm going to disagree. The same thing is true when it comes to all areas of our sexuality. Am I going to agree with what God's Word says, or am I going to disagree? Let me give you a little bit of a review for those of you who are are joining us for the first time, or again, the the first time in a while. We first looked at Genesis chapter 2, and and really some of Genesis chapter 1 as well, and we looked at what God's design for marriage, God's design for sexuality is. I read this quote from John Piper last week. Let me read it again. As we talked about God's design for for a male and a female, we talked about our sexuality. And we said, sexuality, this is from Piper, sexuality is designed by God as a way to know God in Christ more fully. Knowing God in Christ more fully is designed as a, a way of guarding and guiding our sexuality. All misuses of our sexuality distort our true knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. God made us powerfully sexual so that he would be more deeply knowable. We are given the power to know each other sexually so that we might have some hint of what it will be like to know Christ supremely. You see that? God's design for marriage and sexuality is that we enter into this this one flesh relationship in marriage and through intimacy, understand something about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Or in our singleness, we would hold that off. We would uh, hold our sexuality still in honor of God so that we can understand what it's like to be rightly united with the one that we're called to be rightly united with. Piper goes on, he says, all misuses of our sexuality, adultery, fornication, illicit fantasies, masturbation, pornography, homosexual behavior, uh, rape, sexual child abuse, bestiality, exhibitionism, whatever you want to put in there, All these things, all misuses of our sexuality, distort the true knowledge of God, okay? So we began by by talking about that, by talking about our design by God in Genesis chapter 2 to be in a one-flesh relationship, or that the one-flesh relationship was the only appropriate place in which to exhibit our sexuality, to practice our sexuality. So then last week, we began looking at Romans chapter 1, verses, and we started in verses 18 through 23. And number one, we saw that idolatry is rejecting God and worshiping ourselves. That's the first thing we looked at last week. Idolatry is rejecting God and worshiping ourselves. Paul says, beginning in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. And so we talked about how within each person there's a, a, a God-given ability to understand who God is, to know who God is, and our natural tendency is to suppress that knowledge. Then Paul goes on and talks about how revelation has been given to us in nature. Verse 19 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And so we talked about how God has revealed himself within, within each person. He's also revealed himself in creation. All of the created realm screams out, there's a God, a sovereign God, worship him. And our tendency is to continue to reject that message. Revelation cries out, there's a God, worship him. We say, no. And what does Paul tell us that we do next? He tells us that we instead fashion gods for ourselves. We reject God and his revelation, and we begin to worship ourselves. He says, verse 23, we've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, and animals, and creeping things, okay? So, immorality begins with idolatry. Your immorality begins with idolatry. That was kind of our central theme from last week and this week. So, we begin with idolatry, rejecting God, worshiping ourselves. Then secondly, the second thing we saw is that immorality is the result of and God's judgment on idolatry. Immorality is the result of and God's judgment on idolatry. So we start here with idolatry. We say, okay, this is the God who's revealed himself to me. This is what he says about himself. This is what it says about his attributes and how I'm supposed to worship him. Uh, No thanks. (laughs) I reject that. Forget that. And now I'm going to fashion a God for myself. And here's the very interesting thing. Immorality follows from a false understanding of who God is. So our sexuality has been given to us so that we could rightly know God. Well, as we refuse to rightly know God, immorality results. In fact, I didn't have time to get to this last week, and I probably don't have time this morning either, but I'm going to do it anyway um, because it's at the beginning, and I feel like I have tons of time right now. Uh, Turn back to the book of Ezekiel, if you would. Ezekiel 16. It's after the, the book of Daniel. And Ezekiel 16, I don't think I got to this last week, maybe I did, but Ezekiel 16, there's this link between idolatry and immorality. Idolatry is described in very sexual terms. In verse 15 of Ezekiel 16, he says to Israel, you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown, and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines, and on them played the whore. The like has never been, nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourselves images of men, and with them played the whore. You see the link between idolatry and and sexuality there? Their idolatry is described in very sexual terms. Our sexuality has been given to us by God so that we can know him more fully. As we distort the knowledge of who God is, immorality is always the result. Verse 30 of Ezekiel 16 says, How sick is your heart, declares the Lord God, because you did all these things, the deeds of a brazen prostitute building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street and making your lofty place in every square, yet you were not like a prostitute because you scorned payment. Adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband, 
Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. So you were different from other women in your whorings. No one solicited you to play the whore, and you gave payment while no payment was given to you. Therefore, you were different, not in a good way. You see the tie there between idolatry and sexuality? Our idolatry is described in very sexual terms sometimes in Scripture. Idolatry leads to immorality. Therefore, immorality, living an immoral lifestyle, is the result of idolatry, and immorality itself is God's judgment on idolatry. The immoral lifestyle, the lifestyle that our society proclaims is this joyous, free, carefree uh, lifestyle is, is a lifestyle that is actually a lifestyle that lacks joy and is part of God's judgment upon a people for rejecting him. That's what we looked at last week. We also saw that there's a phrase that occurs, in, in fact, go back to Romans 1, there's a phrase that occurs three times beginning in verse 24. It's a phrase God, God gave them up or, or God gave them over to, God turned them over to, and it's, it's a phrase that describes God's judgment. And there's three descriptions of what God gave, over, gave these people over to as they rejected him and pursued idolatry. The first thing that we looked at in verse 24 is that God gave them up to the, the lust of their heart, to impurity. And so, first of all, God gives idolaters over to impurity. That's the first thing we looked at. And the second thing that we're beginning to look at this morning God gives idolaters over to homosexuality. God gives idolaters over to homosexuality. And look with me at the text, if you would. Verse 26. Paul says, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are, are contrary to nature. And so the first thing we notice here is that, that God gave them up to, to these passions. And sometimes people will describe homosexuality as, they'll say, well, that's, that's the way I am. These are my natural desires. These are the things that, that on my own I, I want and, and, I, and I desire. And, and Scripture says, yeah, that's, that's true. It's wrong. It's an, it's an example of our fallenness. But, but yeah, absolutely, this in our fallenness, we desire things that aren't right for us to desire. In fact, sometimes people will say, well, uh, homosexual urges aren't wrong. It's just acting on them that's wrong. No, the urges themselves are also wrong. All of us in our fallen nature have urges that are contrary to how God desires us to live. Those urges are examples of our fallen nature. He says then in verse 26, it goes on, it says, these dishonorable passions, their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. And so both uh, men and women engage in these homosexual acts, and Paul describes them and tells us they are, verse 27 still, they're shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error, their error. These relationships are relationships that lack satisfaction. There's, there's con a consuming passion that, that doesn't result in joy. And they also, as they engage in this lifestyle, receive the due penalty of that lifestyle. In other words, and this is very interesting, I think, the homosexual lifestyle itself is a judgment for homosexuality. 
the lifestyle itself is a lifestyle that doesn't bring with it the blessings that God promises for those who engage in a lifestyle that God calls them to. And so they receive in themselves the due penalty for their error. They, they re- fail to receive the blessings that God promises. Well, obviously, uh, this is a huge issue, right? It's a huge issue. Uh, let, me, let me just give you seven thoughts that I have regarding homosexuality. And you can turn over the back of your bulletin if you want to, if you want to take notes and, and, and think through these things, examine them against Scripture. There's a lot we could say, but here, here are just seven things that I think are helpful for us to think about as we think about the issue of, of homosexuality. Uh, number one, the first thing that I think is helpful for us to think about is this. All of us, all of us are guilty of sexual sin. Now, some of us, it's a besetting sin. Some of us, it's a sin that, that maybe we don't even think about. It's, it's unconscious. Some of us, it's our sexual sin is a consuming sin that we always wrestle with. I mean, different people are going to respond different ways to sexual sin. But for every person who is in here, who is a, a person who understands sin, understands that sin affects every part of our lives, every part of our thinking. All of us are, are damaged in some way as fallen creatures in our sexuality. That's what it means, you know, the idea of, of, of total depravity. Depravity uh, somehow affects every part of our being, our thinking, our emotions. All of us are somehow affected by sin in every area, okay? That's why I think, that's why I read Romans 2 earlier. Romans 2 telling us that we have no excuse. All of us who, who judge, for in passing judgment, we condemn ourselves, right? And so every person needs to understand, first of all, okay, hold on. I, I approach this issue not as, as someone who stands above those who, who struggle with this type of, of sin, but as a, a fellow sinner, another person who's been saved by God's grace and is aware of God's grace in my own life, okay? That's, that's number one, the first thing that I think it's very important for us to consider about homosexuality. The second thing that I would encourage us to think about is this. Homosexuality is condemned in Scripture, Okay? Number two, homosexuality is condemned in Scripture. Now, this to me seems like a pretty obvious statement, but it's amazing to me how often I, I go on to, to blog sites or I'm interacting with people and they say, well, you know what? Um, scripture never really actually condemns homosexuality. Like, what? Really? That's, that's, that's what you're going with? That, that seems a little strange to me. And let me just kind of give you a couple examples of of how people have, have said this. Let me give you a couple examples of, of Scripture that, that does describe homosexuality as a sin. The first instance that I can think of is, well, obviously besides Genesis 2 describing what a marriage relationship is supposed to be like, would be Genesis 19. In Genesis 19, you have the story of, of Sodom and the story of, of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in 19 verse uh, 5, the people call out to Lot, the people of Sodom call out and say, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that, that we may know them. And they describe this, this desire to commit sexual sin with them, this homosexual acts. And, and throughout Scripture, Sodom and Gomorrah are referred to, they're re- part of the sin that is associated with these cities is the sin of, of homosexuality. We also come to a passage like Leviticus 18. Leviticus, Leviticus 18, 22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20, verse 13 says, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, uh, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their, their blood is upon them. And so Leviticus 18 Leviticus 20 are both describing homosexuality uh, as a sin. Now some people will say, well, hold on. Hold on, Christian. <laughs> you 
say that that's a sin, but there's other things that are listed in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law that, that you don't still subscribe to, and, and you wouldn't recommend the death penalty for a person who practices that, that act, would you? And of course not, no. However, remember we talked about God's law several weeks ago, and we saw that God's law that was given to the people of Israel was given to this, this people for a specific setting, a, a specific time. And in God's law are revealed God's moral law, his, his character and his desires and how he desires the people to live. And, and the law was given to this people at a specific time to live in a specific way. And so we're not under the same ceremonial law, we're not under the same civil law, and yet at the same time as we look at God's law, we see his moral character revealed. We, we know that he's a God that wants honesty, not dishonesty. And we know that he's a God that, that wants people to live in a relationship that reflects the created realm, not in immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.9 says this, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 9, says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And, and some people come to 1 Corinthians 6 9 and say, well, uh, that's, that's, not, that's just saying that he doesn't want people to, to practice uh, promiscuity. And, and uh, I, that's not the case. <laughs> In fact, I'm, I'm kind of wondering how much to say here because as you look at the two words that Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 6 9, uh, the ESV translates it, men who practice homosexuality. But if you look at the New American Standard Version, he'll say, uh, neither the effeminate nor homosexuals. And there's two words that Paul uses, and they're very graphic words. In fact, I'm not going to go into the meaning of exactly what they mean, but they're, they're words that describe a, a very graphic uh, sexual act. Okay? And so it's very clear for a person that's going to be honest with the text, uh, this is... Uh, not the way that God says a person is to live. Romans 1, I think, is very clear here. Uh, people are turning their passions from that which is natural, and by natural he means how God has created us to be, and they're following their, their own passions as they, as they have rejected what God desires them to do. In fact, I, I believe uh, this comment by a, a person who's very liberal is, is exactly right. This liberal was... Uh, writing on a blog, and this, this blog was trying to argue for a version of Christianity that would still view homosexuality as, as an appropriate way to live. And this person, uh, pro-homosexual, said this, I commend you for struggling toward the right, but I urge you to take the next step and consider not that your opponents are wrong about the faith, but that the faith itself is wrong. I believe that is the only response that a person can have if they're going to pursue a, a homosexual lifestyle. I don't believe that it's possible to say, well, I, I can still hold God's word as my authority and, and continue to live this lifestyle. I don't believe that scripture offers us that, that choice. In fact, if you're looking for a book that kind of deals with this issue of the Bible and what it says about homosexuality, let me recommend this book to you. It's called uh, The Bible and Homosexual Practice. Uh, texts and hermeneutics. It's a very uh, thick book. It's not a book that you can read in one setting, but it's very extensive, and I believe it just destroys this notion that Scripture uh, doesn't say what Scripture clearly says. So uh, the first thing uh, I believe it's important for us to understand is that uh, we are all guilty of sexual sin. Secondly, that homosexuality is condemned in Scripture. The third thing that I would encourage us 
to think about is that homosexuality distorts the image of God. Homosexuality distorts the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says that God made them male and female. He created them in, in his image. And so in the marriage act, in, in the act of, of two becoming one, I believe there's something about the image of God that is revealed there. Uh, two becoming one, the male and the female becoming one. As one commentator writes, says the Trinity is the perfect relationship and when God made man in his own image, he created the interconnectedness that would reflect the image of the communion of the Trinity. To break that connection is to, to shatter that image. And that's what homosexual sin is. It's the act of aggression and opposition to the will of God. Fourth thing that I think it's important for us to consider is that homosexuality does not bring joy. Homosexuality does not bring joy. And that's why I said at the beginning you know, it doesn't bring me a lot of, of pleasure to, to cause people pain. I don't enjoy causing people pain, and, and I don't enjoy making people angry, and I don't enjoy getting into arguments, but, but this is the reason why I'm willing to do it. Because this is what God's Word says, and I know that greater joy is had in obedience to God than in pursuing our own pleasure. And I know that the homosexual lifestyle is not a lifestyle that is going to bring the people I love joy. Let me share a couple statistics with you. And these are uh, statistics from a, a pro-homosexual group. A suicide is the leading cause of death among gay and, and lesbian youth. A gay and lesbian youth are two to six times more likely to attempt suicide than heterosexual youth. Over 30% of all reported teen suicides each year are committed, over 30% of all reported teen suicides each year are committed by gay and lesbian youth. 40% of homeless youth would identify themselves as gay or lesbian or bisexual. A sur gay and lesbians are at much higher risk than heterosexuals for alcohol and drug abuse. 30% of both lesbian and gay male populations have problems with alcohol. There's substantially higher proportions of homosexual people who use marijuana or cocaine than is the case in the general population. 28% uh, of gay and lesbian youth drop out of high school. Uh, you go on and on and describe this lifestyle. It's a highly promiscuous lifestyle statistically. 80% um, of homosexual men say over half of their sex partners are strangers. I go on and on and on describing this lifestyle. Quite frankly, uh, I, was, I was shocked by some of the things I read as the the slogans are kind of stripped away, and you say, okay, just statistically, what's taking place in, in the lives of these people who have committed to this lifestyle? And it's a very sad and it's a very dark lifestyle for, for most people who participate in it. The vast majority, statistically, are living very, very unhappy, painful lives. In fact, there was a, a study that came out this uh, two weeks ago from the University of Texas at Austin that talked about children who are who's one of their parents is, is practicing homosexual. And there's been kind of this, this slogan, these kind of these sound bites in the media that talks about how, how happy children are that are raised in these types of homes. There's, there's no statistical difference between them, those children, and children who are raised by uh, heterosexual couples. And, and this, this new research says, no, that's, that's simply not the case. And some of the people who have looked at this research that are, that are pro-homosexual are very angry uh, by it. They're angered because the person who did the study looked at so many uh, homosexual couples that were in, in broken homes. And they said that's not a fair way to judge uh, the homosexual lifestyle. And the researcher had to say, well, 
that's how the majority of the homes are. There weren't enough in the sample of, of, of good, solid, stable homosexual couples because this lifestyle is a very promiscuous lifestyle. In fact, whenever a homosexual couple sometimes uses the phrase a committed relationship, that means something very different statistically than what a heterosexual couple means when they say committed relationship. It's estimated less than 5% of homosexual couples are, are in a committed relationship that doesn't involve uh, what you might call an open relationship. And we don't need to go into those details. But my point is this. My point is this. My, let me first say what my point is not. My point isn't that, that homosexuality causes all these things, okay? I don't think you can argue necessarily causation from these statistics. But my point is this. When you commit yourself to a lifestyle that's contrary from how God tells you to live, it shouldn't surprise you whenever other things are, are in that life that, that don't bring happiness and joy that God wants you to have. A person who rejects God and decides to worship themselves is going to have a very hard life. And one of the ways that that's manifested is in homosexuality. Another thing that I encourage you to think about, fifthly, as we think about things about homosexuality that are important for us to, to consider, uh, number five, homosexual marriage is, is a contradiction in, in terms. The idea that, that there's a, a same-sex marriage radically redefines what the marriage relationship is, how, how God established it, and what, what God intends it to be. Our family has been reading through Alice in Wonderland and, uh, you know, by Lewis Carroll, and, and it, it drives Whitney crazy, uh, some of the, the silliness in, in that book. But there's this, there's this scene in which Alice is talking to, the, to Humpty Dumpty, and Humpty Dumpty is talking about the, the unbirthdays and getting unbirthday presents. And he says there's, there's 364 days when you might get unbirthday presents, and only one for birthday presents, you know. And then the Humpty Dumpty says, that's glory for you. And Alice says... I don't know what you mean by glory. Humpty Dumpty smiled contemptuously. Of course you don't know what I mean by glory till I tell you. I meant there's a nice knockdown argument for you. But glory doesn't mean nice knockdown argument, Alice objected. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things, right? No matter how much we might want to redefine what marriage is, God has told us what marriage is. And it may come, there may come a time when our culture says, no, we, we reject that understanding of marriage and, and we're going to call marriage something different. And you and I are going to have to decide how we respond to that. My encouragement to us is that we cannot acknowledge a definition of marriage that's contrary to what God's word says marriage is to be. A sixth thing to think about here as we think about homosexuality. Sixthly, homosexuals are not enemies to be defeated, but friends to be loved. Homosexuals, those who are practicing a homosexual lifestyle, are not enemies to be defeated, rather they're friends to be loved. I think the more that you get to know those who are involved in this type of lifestyle, you'll understand that the pain, the suffering that many of them have, have gone through, and sometimes, quite frankly, the suffering has been at the hands of those who call themselves Christians. 
And so as we think about how we're to respond to a culture that disagrees with what God's word says, our, our, our response is not to see these people as enemies to somehow be defeated, but rather as, as friends to be loved and challenged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the seventh point. The gospel offers hope and healing for all sexual sins. Number seven, the gospel offers hope and healing for all sexual sins. This morning, if you're struggling with homosexual urges, with same-sex attraction, I can't promise you that if you become a Christian, those urgings will go away and you'll never struggle with temptation ever again. In fact, the reality may be that 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 may be something that you struggle with your entire life. But my encouragement to you is the gospel can radically transform your heart and can remove from you the penalty due for your sin, the penalty due for all sins. We'll talk about that more in just in 30 seconds or so. Third thing about what God gives idolaters over to, and we'll just touch on this, God gives idolaters over to depravity. He gives them over to depravity. So it's not just sexual sin, but here in verses 28 through 32, he lists all the other types of sins that, that a person is turned over to as they deny him and they pursue idolatry. That's God's judgment upon upon a person who rejects him. Well, let's, let's move into something more positive as we close here, and that's this. The gospel, the last thing I want to talk about here from Romans chapter 1 is the gospel. The gospel is God's provision of righteousness for idolaters. Immorality is a result of and God's judgment on idolatry, but the gospel, number three, the gospel, the gospel is God's provision of righteousness for idolaters. Look back at verses 16 and 17 that Paul begins this section with. In verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. As we think about God's design for marriage and for our sexuality, we see that all of us have failed. We see that every person in here has, has failed to pursue God's design for marriage, whether it be immorality, whether it be idolatry, whether it be divorce, whether it be depravity. All these things are, are deviations from God's desire for us. And so every person in here is in desperate need of God's righteousness. Every person stands before God worthy of condemnation, and the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that, that Christ died in our place, the, the righteous for the unrighteous. And as we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, we can turn our unrighteousness over to God, and we can have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, so that as God looks on us, he sees not our sin, but Christ's righteousness. As Isaiah said, God was pleased to lay on him the iniquity of us all. The great hope that every person has in this room is that they can pursue God's plan for them. Not on their own strength, not because of their own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, manifested in our lives through faith in him alone. And my encouragement to each of you here, my encouragement to each of you here, if you've not already done so, would be to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. 
And my encouragement to each person here as you think about your marriage, as you think about your being single, as you think about being sexual, as you think about the, the problems with being a, a sexual being in a fallen world, my encouragement to each of you is the gospel provides hope and that we as a church want to come alongside you and care for you and love you and offer you a safe place in which to experience the fruit of the gospel in your lives. And so many of you are trying to go through this alone. Some of you have struggled with immorality for years. Some of you have struggled with a marriage that doesn't honor God for years. Some of you have struggled in your singleness for years. Some of you have struggled with homosexual urges for years. And and you've wondered, is there any hope for me? And my encouragement to you is that yes, there is. In the person of Jesus Christ, it's found in the gospel. And your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ at this church want to come alongside you and love you and care for you as we pursue God's righteousness together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the fact that the gospel is your provision of righteousness for we who are idolaters, and we pray that we would pursue you with our whole hearts. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.